destruction of the planet. The only way that you could accept destroying the world and making it almost impossible for your children to live in, the only way that you could allow these things to happen, destroy the economy, allow the economy to be destroyed, the only way that you could allow the environment to be destroyed is because you think that the end of the world is coming. That you think that there's a better place and you're going to it. I contend that this is the highest form of mental illness. And the reason it's the highest form of mental illness is because of the insidious nature. You don't think or feel or look like you're mentally ill. And so this illness slips under the radar. But the jig is up. The end of the world isn't coming unless you bring it upon us. So let's embrace life and not fuck it up. You only get one life, one chance. We owe it to ourselves to try the best we can. Hey, Bill T. I want to play some music for the uh, fine folks of Anchor. All right. It's going to be music that I recorded, wrote and recorded myself. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know? Have you heard it? Um, is it the ones that you play every night? No. I don't think I've ever really played my music for you guys. Really? No. Yeah. No, this is music that I played, like, recorded some time ago. Oh, all right. Before you were born, actually. I thought you meant the piano. No, no. Integrity Radio.
just heard less is more weapon for and tumbleweed off the album aftertaste i self-produced wrote and recorded all of the songs on that album and like all of my music it is also self-released or self-published so stay tuned if you like that i've got more coming in fact i think i'll play the next song for you, which is called Find the Power. Integrity Radio.
the mathematicians only are dealing with the structure of the reasoning, and they do not really care about what they're talking. They don't even need to know what they're talking about, or as they themselves say, or whether what they say is true. Now, I explain that. If you state the axioms, you say, such and such a so, and such and such a so, and such and such a so, what then? Then the logic can be carried out without knowing what the such and such words mean. In other words, mathematicians prepare abstract reasoning that's ready to be used if you will only have a set of axioms about the real world. But the physicist has meaning to all the phrases. And there's a very important thing that the people, who, a lot of people who study physics that come from mathematics don't appreciate. The physics is not mathematics, and mathematics is not physics. One helps the other. But you have to have some understanding of the connection of the words with the real world. And this is a problem which is not a problem of mathematics at all. Mathematicians also like to make their reasoning as general as possible. If you say, I have a three-dimensional space, uh, ordinary space, I want to talk about ordinary space. You know, you're in it and you measure distances and there are three numbers you need to tell where something is. You go breadth, width, and height, three-dimensional space, and you begin to ask them about theorems. Then they say, now look, if you had a space of n dimensions, then here are the theorems. Well, I say, yeah, but I only want the case three. Well, substitute n equals three. And then it turns out... But then it turns out that very many of the complicated theorems they have are much simpler because it happens to be a special case. Now, the physicist is always interested in a special case. He's never interested in the general case. He does, he's talking about something. When you know what it is you're talking about, that these things are forces and these are masses and this is inertia and this is so on, then you can use an awful lot of common sense seat-of-the-pants feeling about the world. You've seen various things. You know more or less how the phenomenon is going to behave. Well, the poor mathematician, he translates it into equations, and the symbols don't mean anything to him, and he has no guide but precise mathematical rigor and care in the argument. The, ma the mathematical rigor of great precision is not very useful in the physics, nor is the modern attitude in mathematics to look at axioms. Now, mathematicians can do what they want to do. One should not criticize them because they are not slaves to physics. It is not necessary that just because this would be useful to you, they have to do it that way. They can do what they will. It's their own job. And if you want something else, then you work it out yourself.
to gag on him. We had a little arrangement going. The arrangement was uh, simply that I would pull a brain buster on him every now and then. I would do it suddenly. He wouldn't suspect it. it would, he'd turn to me and say, uh-oh, was that one? And I'd say, that was one, Dick. That was it. And he'd say, oh, okay, then i got to work on it. Now, the arrangement was I would do a brain buster that would floor him, and then he could ask any question about it as long as the answer would be yes or no or not applicable. And uh, so he would start asking questions, yes or no questions. And he was aware of a lot of things in life, but he was unaware of the fact that the earth rotated on his axis. And a counterclock so I stretched it out to you from the North Pole. Because I lived in New Jersey, and I would get a call like at 4 o'clock in the morning. Hi, Dick Feynman. Listen, if you had said to the waiter in the restaurant when you did that move, uh, uh, I said, Dick, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. He says, no, it's not. It's on. Oh. Uh, oh, yes, you're in, in New Jersey. I said, yeah, the earth turns kind of clock. <laughs> and we have time zones. And he's, oh, I'm very sorry. He said, but what the, what's the answer? And I said, the answer is no. And he said, okay, I'll call you back. And said, Dick, hello. Dick, hello. And then I lay awake for the rest of the night. He said, call me back in 15 minutes with another question. <laughs> Uh, well, what I did with him um, was, was just a great son. I, I called him and I said, uh, I got him at his office and I said, uh, Hi, I've uh, just uh, come out to, uh, out to the airport and I'm just waiting for luggage here. Uh, any chance you can pick me up? Now, he, he drove a big old red Thunderbird that he was very proud of. It was from the year two, I think it was very old. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, Yes, he said, I, I just got a 15 minute class. It's a very it's abbreviated class. And he said, uh, I'll be out of that, and I'll come right up to the airport and pick you up. I said, good, okay. So uh, uh, I waited at the airport, and he came out and he picked me up and threw the luggage in the back and uh, drove off. And uh, the other adventures happened during that trip as well, but I haven't got time to get into that. And uh, we got into town, and I said, uh, I, I'm for lunch. Uh, where will we go to lunch? And he said, uh, uh, how about the Mexican restaurant? I said, sure, sure, whatever you want. And so we drove over to his favorite Mexican restaurant, walked in, Metro D said hello, and uh, I said, can we sit over by the window? And they, Metro D said, sure, sure, right over here. Sat him down, and uh, we got into a conversation, and I reached across, and I took the teaspoon from in front of him, and I said, I'm going to show you a miracle. I wrapped the teaspoon, and I put it in between his fingers, and uh, stroked it, it turned rubbery and soft. And he looked astonished and it fell in two pieces. And I said, uh, that's the way that Geller is doing it now, I understand. He said, oh, was that one of them? And I said, yes. <laughs> I do admit to him. He said, well, i got to start on yes and no's now. I said, well, let's have lunch first. He was distracted all the way through lunch. Well, he would call me, you know, in New Jersey. If a waiter had said so-and-so and such, I had set him up. Because I was calling him from the airport, it's true. But I had come in the day before, and he didn't know that. And I'd gone to his favorite Mexican restaurant, and I'd set it up. I gave him a prepared spoon, I said to the Metro D, he's always playing jokes on you, we'll play one on him. And he said, you got it. Anything we can do on Dick Feynman is, is, is all right with me. I said, you'll be here at 1 o'clock tomorrow. He said, oh yeah, I'll be here. So I said, well, when we do something, you'll sit us over by the window here, and the far seat will have this teaspoon in front of you. It's all done. So, uh, so I set him up completely, you see. And so I, I called him from the airport. I actually called him on a payphone in those days. We didn't have cell phones. There was a day when we didn't have cell phones. I hate to tell you this, but it's true. 
And uh, I called him and I said, I just come into the airport and the whole thing, and uh, can you pick me up? Knowing full well that he had the 15-minute class, I checked with him with his office, and uh, so they, they didn't know why I was asking. But uh, anyway, I knew it, that he would come out and pick me up, and he came out in the Thunderbird, and I threw the suitcase into the back, and we just loaded with weighty things. I, it wasn't light because he would have known, you see. I threw it in the back and uh, left the baggage tags on it, he didn't read the date on the baggage tags, he didn't know. And he drove me off, and we got to the Mexican restaurant, uh, which he suggested, oh, fell right into my hand. <laughs> and I would have suggested it anyway, uh, and gotten him around to get in there. And uh, he was set up that way. And so uh, he, uh, he always solved every last one of them, yeah. every damn one. But it took him sometimes a couple of weeks before he got it solved, and that uh, he would... And, and, and always when I give him the answer, like, the answer is no, and he say, ah, and that leaves only two possibilities that I can picture. I'll call you back, quick. <laughs> and he would think about that for a little while longer. That's why he won a Nobel Prize, and that's why he was Dick Feynman, and he was a genius of, of the first water. No question. Folks, uh, I have to leave you now. This next song was probably my favorite song to play live. Sneak into heaven. Mm-hmm. 